0: Hey, listeners, this is Wesley, and thanks for tuning in to the Amplify Your Process Safety podcast. In today's episode, I interview Will McBride, an industry expert in mechanical integrity, and today we specifically talk about API 510. As always, Rob and I thank you for
1: listening. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety, the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety, in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety, or an experienced process safety professional. Join your hosts, Wesley Carter and Rob Bartlett, in their mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate, by making process safety knowledge available to all.
0: This is Wesley. Thanks for tuning in to the Amplify Your Process Safety Podcast. I'm here with Will McBride, not my typical um, co-host, Rob Hello, Bartlett. One. Hello, Will. Will, um... What are we going to talk about today? Tell me a little bit about you. What we're talking about?
2: Sure. So, uh, as mentioned, my name is William McBride, and uh, I am a mechanical integrity specialist that focuses heavy on PSM asset integrity management.
0: Asset integrity management. So, uh, you, you you know, you're you work for a consulting firm. I you do. know, I'll be very clear. And uh, you're a mechanical integrity asset integrity management. And there's kind of three. Uh, key raggy gap recognized and generally accepted good engineering practice that um, I think that you know some of our listeners are probably familiar with that that is the uh, API 510 10.
2: API 570 and API 653.
0: And so API 510, what is that for?
2: API 510 is the um, the recommended practice or inspection guideline for pressure vessels.
0: And then 570?
2: 570 is the inspection guideline for piping systems.
0: And API 653? Storage tanks. Storage tanks. Okay, and so today, and why I've asked you, and you're the first interview, by the way, on the Amplify oh. Your Process Safety Podcast. Glad to be here. So I've asked you to, to uh, come uh, and, and speak today. Uh, we want to talk about API 510. Sure. You know, as a process safety and risk management consultant, a lot of my clients, um, in having to comply with the mechanical integrity element of the PSM or RMP regulations, they have to do inspections, yep. PMs tests, part of their inspection test preventive maintenance program.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: with that is API five ten inspections. That's correct. You know, and so before we get into that. Tell me a little bit about your background. Why do why, why do my listeners want to care about what you have to say today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, as a kid, I started out in the NDT world, crawling around in paper NDT, boilers. NDT, yep, what is this? Non-destructive state? testing. There you go and uh, crawling around in boilers and uh, as i as i grew up into a young adult i started in the chemical industry and eventually found myself over the last 12 years in the midstream business um, while in midstream i had the glorious opportunity of working in operations um, in natural gas processing uh, eventually on uh, the engineering project management side for pipeline and found my way into mechanical integrity. Okay. And so for the last uh, eight or nine years, um, I've worked on both the midstream side and the consulting side, uh,
0: managing MI programs. Excellent. Okay. So I I got a client where they got to comply with the mechanical integrity element of the PSM standard, and they need to do an API five ten inspection. What all you do in an API five ten inspection? I got a vessel out there, a pressurized vessel. Sure. And I call you to do an API 510 inspection. Absolutely. Walk me through this.
2: So essentially um, what is required per 510 with the pressure vessel is performing what's called an external visual inspection. And uh, with the external visual inspection, essentially that is the um, API inspector looking over the entire vessel, looking at all their pertinences, the nozzles, the layout of the vessel and making certain that it is sufficient for service from an external standpoint. And then with that, is partnered what's called UT or ultrasonic thickness so, test.
0: So before we get into this UT, sure. this uh, this external inspection, mm-hmm. um, what are you looking for? You know, like I'm, I'm looking at the pipe. What am I looking for?
2: So what you're looking for is, number one, you're looking for what is this vessel made from. Okay. And so you're looking for what's called a nameplate or a U-stamp, US which is a coded stamp that the vessel manufacturer built it to a certain code called ASME Section 8. Okay. And per that code, they're looking for design materials, first and foremost. Second, you're looking to know what's inside of it. And based on what's inside of it is determined upon the, um, the certain type of damage mechanisms to understand what it is you're inspecting for. And then from there begins what's called a checklist, your basic API 510 checklist of going through certain things, looking at the, the, you know, what it's sitting on, how is it bolted up? Does it follow code? Are there any leaks? Are there any concerns? If it's insulated, is it displaying any concern on the insulation So it's just a, a, yeah. a, a range of visual inspection. And
0: you're in your, it sounds like you're going through a checklist. You are yeah. API 510 checklist. API, okay. And so you have a, so I guess you will, you have a standard checklist you use when you're doing this external that's inspection, correct. right? Yes. Okay. And it's given a status, you know, either good or
2: that's correct. It's either deficient. Or it's in good standing service.
0: Okay. And then so you do that part and then you said UT ultrasonic thickness.
2: Ultrasonic thickness. Yes. That's where you are taking the measures from a thickness standpoint of the steel wall to determine if there's any kind of wall thinning or corrosion occurring on the inside of the vessel.
0: Okay. Okay. So um, you're doing the, and then everything's, everything's really good every time you do this, right? Oh, perfect. You don't Every have single n- time, no issues. Uh,
2: yep. That's, that's why we don't ever go back to inspect again. <laughs> yep. That's what we talked about, right? <laughs> that's correct. This
0: is why you keep a job. That is right. That's because correct. it's an ongoing program and On you do door. find deficiencies.
2: Absolutely all the time things age things get old operation at uh, like a car like a bicycle like anything through through multiple years of operation it gets beat down and it gets hard so it's our job to check it every so often to make sure that if there is a deficiency found it
0: has to be fixed okay and so um you know so I'm sure you know we'll get to this in a second you know the you know the the outcome of this so I'll call it the report we'll get to that in a second but what documentation do you need On the front end to do a proper inspection
2: so much like a child being born when a vessel is manufactured the child requires a birth certificate correct yep well so does the pressure vessel. so because you must understand all of its design parameters so what's what's given is what's called a ASME section 8 form which is a U1A and that U1A gives all of the design specs that's on this vessel so anything from the pressure it's rated for to the to the materials of construction
0: Okay, and it'll have and the people who manufacture the company, it'll have their shop shop information, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they they actually have a two, coded stamp, write a coded stamp, and that's it'll have correct. the information when it was last certified. That is correct. All this on the birth certificate. Absolutely. Okay, and then um, okay, see, so you, you have that information, you have the right documentation on the front end. Mm-hmm. You know, it's perfect world. You go out, you do your inspection, and then you get a report. What what should I what should my listeners, a client, someone who hires a mechanical integrity. Someone helps them with their asset integrity management program. They hire you to come in and do a 510 inspection. Yep. What kind of reports should you expect to see? Pretty standard stuff. It's
2: a fantastic question, Wesley, because I've seen all range of reports from one page report to nine page reports. My recommendation for anybody who owns pressure vessels or operates pressure vessels is to have a report that starts with your cover sheet. It basically describes what this vessel is, what its vessel name is. It's got a beautiful picture of it, so you know exactly what vessel you're looking at. It's got the employer's name on it or the plant specific. That's your cover sheet. The second page is a, a small design information page. It gives your basic variables of design that goes into the calculation of your remaining life of the vessel. And then from there, it should also give you a schedule of inspection. So it should show you your last inspection date and your next inspection due date, which helps for your mechanical integrity planning. Sure. From there, you go into the actual inspection report. So you have your visual checklist, which shows everything was either good, adequate, or there was a deficiency. Then you go into your ultrasonic thickness report. And then from there, you go into what we call a picture page and so on. You should have at a minimum four pictures that show multiple things that they looked at, including the nameplate that's on the side of the stamp that I mentioned. Yeah. And if there's a deficiency found, usually they should take a picture of the deficiency so it calls out to what they found and what's in the process of being repaired. And then from there, last but not least, on the deficiency side, if a finding is found, usually it's put into two categories, an action item or a recommendation. And just to clarify, an action item is a basically a non-code compliant finding. This is something that OSHA says sh- you shall go out and correct Okay. versus a simple recommendation, meaning the inspector's been around this business a long time. He sees something that is either an immediate concern or something that could pose an issue over the next few years, and he feels it, it's important enough to bring to your attention for you to, as the client to go out, take a look at it, and assess if any work should be done.
0: Okay, okay. Huh, that seems, yeah,
2: makes a lot of good sense. So we could have a podcast over action item versus recommendations.
0: I feel like you should have a podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe one day. Right. But, uh, so, okay. Okay. So another question I have is, um, I'm building a new facility. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go up to five years. Sure. Before I do an inspect uh, my baseline, new equipment. Sure. What's your opinion on this? So,
2: within the code, when installing, say, a new pressure vessel or a yeah, new Yeah, so, and, and just to
0: clarify for my listeners, what we're saying is I build a new facility, mm-hmm. brand new vessel. Within right. the code, there's some wording in there that. You can go up to five years before you get a baseline. A baseline, that's right? correct. Okay, yes. so keep going.
2: And so for for clarification purposes on the baseline, um, I like to use the analogy a lot of uh, of an EKG for an example. If you have a heart condition or something that's causing problems, you go see a doctor for the first time. They run an EKG on your heart, correct? And yeah. they they look for irregular activity, but then more importantly, they always schedule a follow up when you come back. They run a second EKG and they compare the two to the baseline to see if there's any irregularity that's occurring in the meantime. What's well, kind of similar with here when you build a, f- a brand new facility, it's always required to have a good baseline inspection reading so that your follow-up readings is what determines your proper corrosion rate. Okay. Well, when you wait five years, sometimes anything can occur within those five years. You don't have any type of corrosion rate. Plus. Um, just to take that a step further, within the code on newly installed equipment, it recommends to get a baseline immediately due to the fact that during the construction phase, while the equipment's being moved in, while it's being installed, your, your construction inspectors or your chief inspectors that are out there, they understand construction, they understand welding. What they don't know is your ASME and API codes. And so when they set that vessel, you, you've got certain things like bolts, just your simple bolts and flange fasteners that have to be applied per a specific code. Plus, if anything happens during construction and nobody sees it, the purpose of having that third party come in into a baseline is to assess that as well.
0: Yeah, because oftentimes, um, yeah, you know, a vessel is not built on site.
2: No, it's not. It's
0: built off site, right? So you That's get correct. you get a lot of documents. You don't know what happens during transport. That's correct. I'm not. I'm not acting like this is a common thing that vessels are screwed up a lot during transport. Sure. but it can happen. Exactly. Right. 100%. Okay. Good. Good stuff. Yeah. So let's get into something. Let's talk about some common concerns that you see in your experience.
2: Sure. So that's a wonderful topic. And again, many variables here that could take an entire podcast. But yeah, so common concerns in the industry. First and foremost, you must understand there's there's five very important variables that go into um, calculating a vessel's remaining life from a mechanical integrity inspection standpoint. The first one is understanding and knowing what the MAWP, or Maximum Allowable Working Pressure is, on the design of the vessel. Yeah. Typically, that's stated on said UNA or, or, and or the nameplate that's on the Stand vessel. Stands on the vessel, right? That's the name correct. Plate. So you must know that. The other thing is you must understand the stress value of the materials of construction. So what that okay. means is what that vessel is made from, that carbon steel plate that was rolled to make that vessel, has a certain tensile strength. From that tensile strength is a certain stress value, so you must understand and know what that carbon steel plate is exactly to understand what its stress value is, what sure. it, what it can contain. Important
0: for the cut, important for the calc.
2: Absolutely. The other one, the third, is the joint efficiency, and and so the joint efficiency is when a vessel manuf- is manufactured in the shop, based on the service it's going in, based on the code it's being built to determines what level of radiography the joints or welds should should be performed and so um you have a range of what's called a full radiography a spot radiography which which is only partial joints yeah. or no radiography at all and and you must know d- to to perform a successful calculation you must know what the joint efficiency is which again is stated on that una yeah. the fourth and this is in my opinion a topic uh that, that could go on for days is the corrosion allowance um So the corrosion allowance is when a vessel is manufactured, it's built to a certain thickness. Um, Let's just, for an example, one inch thick. So if there's a corrosion allowance built in, the vessel manufacturer may say, you know what, you have one eighth corrosion allowance that's built into the, the design of this vessel based off the pressure. So therefore, what that means is you can corrode up to an eighth inch all day long
0: yeah off not yeah off my original thickness i can do it and everything's good
2: and everything is good and it still passes and so um corrosion allowance is very important because uh you know you could when i say you could get into a topic on corrosion many many vessels we inspect nowadays um have been placed in in the plant years ago and typically the idea was if they were manufactured for non-corrosive service they were built with no corrosion allowance well the problem is No corrosion allowance means that the nominal thickness is not your minimum required thickness. And so these vessels tend to fail a calculation because of the tolerance of the UT that's taken. So today, vessel manufacturers are starting to get a little bit more intelligent about this issue. And so when you go to order a vessel, in most cases, they may ask you if this vessel is going into a PSM-regulated facility or or not. And the purpose of that is they know that you're going to have MI inspections.
0: They know you're going to show up. And you're going to say something when they have no corrosion allowance.
2: Every single time. Yep. Um, and so um, with that being said, you know, the, the corrosion allowance has this, this issue has actually caused a concern across the industry to the point to where many people in the in- industry are revising their engineering standards to reflect that new vessels purchased for non-corrosive must have at least a 16th inch corrosion and for corrosive must have at least an 8th
0: we We're getting smarter as an industry. We are. That's good. That's a good thing. Absolutely.
2: Moving in the right direction. It's better than being
0: dumber. (laughs) (laughs) That's correct. I I hate to say we're being dumber as an industry. Yeah. And then of
2: course, all those, the fifth variable is the corrosion rate and, and they all feed into that partnered with the UT is what's determined of the corrosion rate. And with that, provide you what's called a remaining life of the vessel. Okay. Yeah. So so those are some of the more common concerns across the industry. Um, some other concerns is, should I have design documentation? Should I find all my UNAs? And uh, so, so yeah, those are some of the biggest concerns.
0: So, I you know, a couple things that I think, you know, for my listeners that, you know, that I would be interested in uh, talking about. So um, I don't have a UNA for a vessel. Mm-hmm. So I got a piece of equipment out there and I don't have the UNA. Right. And maybe it had a national board number. Sure. I called in the national board or I, I submitted online. Now they're online, right? You submit a request yep. for a, a UNA and they don't have it. It was never filed. That's right. Now what do I do?
2: So in most cases, when you don't have a UNA, we can't find it. We've exhausted every effort. For our industry, from a liability standpoint, we must default all of the, the variables to worst case scenario.
0: That sounds like it can give you some very ultra conservative results.
2: It can, um, it uh, very much. So sounds awful. Uh, it it, it is on a, a, to give you an example on a one inch thick plate, it's going to tell you that your minimum required thickness is an inch and a half, which we know is impossible. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. Food for thought. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, so in our industry, there are some advanced techniques that we have, um, that we use across the board to exhaust all efforts to help save the vessel for said client so one of those techniques is for an example on materials of construction if you don't know what they are uh, we can perform a service called pmi which stands for positive material identification okay where we come into the field and we use pieces of equipment that simply just you know analyze the the steel on site and it gives you a a a a confident assumption of what that steel is because let's be fair, we know anybody who knows anything about carbon steels each year. One carbon steel, may be, the the chemical composition may differ just slightly. So it it's a it's a confidential it, it's a confident um, assumption, so to speak, sure. based off the equipment. And so sometimes you can determine that. So that you must partner it also with hardness examination. Hardness okay. examination can help kind of determine what the tensile strength is. And then in some cases you can do a fiber analysis and take a look. Now that's the easy case. The worst case scenario if you really want to determine what this is, is uh, shut your unit down and go cut a, a little sample. Out of the steel and send it to a lab for yeah, analysis
0: because yeah it's my it's my inlet separator from my facility i have that's, time to shut it down and do all this right
2: absolutely and plus who, who doesn't like running a pressure vessel at 1100 pounds with a chunk of steel cutting out yeah, of the side exactly that's correct okay so yeah so there, there are some things in in that as an
1: example that so it's we not can, the
0: end of the world that's correct if you don't have a una it's not jump to we got to replace this vessel that's correct there are things you can do in lieu of or absolutely. You, it's more steps yes right but yep. you can that's correct okay so i've been taking notes this whole thing Um, I feel like I could go do one of these. Are there qualifications I should have?
2: Absolutely. Uh, And by the way, the test is after this shortly. So I hope you pass. I'm ready. Uh, Yeah. So so, as always, the recommendation in the industry is if you're going to have a person that you want experience looking at your presser vessel, they must be certified to the API 510 code. And don't think you can just apply for it online and run down and take a test and pass it. Um, An API inspector, uh, depending on the level of education, must have several years. Of, of examination, of um, or operation or manufacturing of to truly have a, a clear understanding. Some
0: relevant experience.
2: Absolutely. And then once they apply, they have they have to give all of this information. And, and for every person they've ever worked for doing this, they must give that information. And then the API will reach out to those people to get confirmation. And then the person, once approved, and, and goes in not and takes not quite a, a test, background check, but kind of a little bit. And then that person goes in and takes a uh, a, a very in depth test, typically 125 questions of both open book and closed book. And keep in mind, this is not just your typical API five ten code. It focuses on six or seven codes that all apply, inc- including the um, ASME Section eight code. So the inspector must know all this detailed information from the manufacturing of it to the operation of it to the inspection of it.
0: So you yeah, so if you know I'm I'm hiring someone to do help me with my asset integrity management program mm-hmm. and they're going to do my metal thickness surveys. Yep. Standard standard practice. I yep. should that lead inspector I should ask her where's your paperwork? That's standard practice, right?
2: Absolutely. And they all should have either their big certification or a nice little wallet size. A little tiny one they carry around with them. Yep. And if you're a person who is just like, you know what, you you got that out of a cereal box or you downloaded it off the web, API has a beautiful website and they've got a contact information. You can reach out and give them this person's information and they save all of that all the way down to a profile with certification um, information when they took it. And what their next expiration date is.
0: Oh, nice! You're, yeah. Uh, yeah, so you're making everyone kind of like API detectives. Absolutely, they can check out who's coming in and get us some background.
2: Would, would you not, you know, want to know who it is that's coming into your facility? Oh,
0: absolutely. This this is important. You know, at the end of the day, mechanical integrity. You know, I uh, I think every part of the PSM R and P regulation have a special special place for me, especially as a process safety risk management consultant. Sure. But mechanical integrity to me is extremely important. Absolutely. You know, what good is your kit? You know, I call it your kit if that's you don't correct. maintain it. That's why I use the
2: analogy of the baby is born. They get a birth certificate. Well, so is a pressure vessel. Yeah. And, you know, safety, we all say that safety is priority. Safety is number one. Mechanical integrity is is the underlying of safety because that's your pressure. I tell, I tell people
0: all the time when I'm doing a, I do a process safety training, and I'll say, what good is it if you, I'm wearing my PPE, I did my uh, job safety analysis, my JSA, um, you know, maybe I'm doing hot work, I filled out my permit correctly, all that type stuff. What good is that? If I walk up to a piece of equipment that's about to explode, that doesn't, that can't hold the pressure inside, that's got corrosion because it's not, you have not been maintaining it, you haven't been doing proper inspections on it, it's, it. it's almost, it can defeat everything, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well. Uh, yeah. So again, you work for a consulting firm. I do. If, I, if people were interested in, you know, reaching out to you, wanted to ask you more questions. Uh, maybe they need some help with their asset integrity management programs. How can yeah, they get in touch with you?
2: Sure. So I currently work for and manage a group for Crossbridge Compliance. Uh, Crossbridge Compliance uh, is home based out of Oklahoma City. And um, as always, you know, you can go to the website right off the bat, crossbridgecompliance.com. com. gives a lot of uh, insightful information and, and all of the service lines that we have. Um, if you would like to reach me directly, you can reach me at McBride at com. Awesome
0: uh i thank you again for coming on the show thank you it's uh it's like i said you're my first interview that's awesome yeah it's i've enjoyed it yeah i appreciate it um and so will thank you again this is wesley i appreciate you tuning into the amplify your process safety
1: podcast talk to you next time thank you